Hello, and welcome to Barks Remarks, the podcast where we talk about the stories from the legendary Carl Barks, creator of Scrooge McDuck and writer and artist of the greatest Donald and Scrooge comics of all time. Join us as we explore his longer adventure stories in their chronological publishing order. We'll talk about what makes them so enduring, their historical context, and how well they hold up today. So get out your reprint and get ready to enjoy our remarks. Welcome back to Bark's Remarks. I'm Mark Severino, a grown man who loves duck comics, who loves to talk about the adventure length stories of Carl Barks, and uh, who's very excited to talk about one of his later um, masterpieces. I guess this one could be considered. It's at least a very well regarded story. We're here today to talk about the unsafe safe. We're going to be talking about um, Magic of Dispel, who is a fan favorite. Always fun to talk about. And um, I am delighted to welcome back Elaine Ramshaw, uh, returning for a second time. Um, We had a great conversation about kind of an unheralded story, I would say. Um, But Elaine, welcome. Welcome back. We get to talk about a pretty famous one today. Uh Uh-huh. Looking forward to it. Even even more highly regarded on Index than her first appearance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Isn't isn't that weird? Mm Mm-hmm. And that's that's a good thing to kick off with, right? We'll we'll go into the specifics near the end, but mm-hmm. but I I love to trawl index for these facts, and people have voted um, that that this is the the all time favorite Magicka Dispel story. So that's definitely something that we get to talk about today. Um, but you know, I I definitely want I want to make sure that I welcome you properly. Um, this is only your second appearance, and so remind remind people uh, what what kind of a fan are you? How long do you? How far back do you and Clarks go? So we had comics in my house, bought by my older siblings. So they are they were in my house as far back as I can remember. And uh, the best comics were the Duck comics, and then after that, Little Lulu. So, so you were probably reading during around when these were being first reprinted, or were you reading the like original publications? No, I was reading the original publications. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you you are a longtime Barks fan, right? Mm-hmm. I I I talk about myself as being a longtime Barks fan, but I didn't get to I didn't get to enjoy these as they came out, right? And I imagine Magica must be women, girls, they didn't have a lot of characters to look to in the duck stories, right? Daisy was kind of a shrew, um, just Donald's girlfriend. So so what what do you think? What are your how do you feel about Magica? Yeah, I, I'm deeply fond of Magica, and uh, it was definitely important partly because there weren't many other female characters to connect to in the Duck stories. And of course, you know, in, in the 19, early 1960s, uh, you were used to that in media in general, that there weren't many female characters that you would want to identify with. So she may be a bad guy, but she's an attractive bad guy. She's uh, one that you can identify with in, in several different ways, which I'm sure we'll talk about. 
Yeah. Yeah, I I think it definitely, right? I mean, fan favorite is is a word that I hear a lot. Mm-hmm. People love Magicka cuz she's so interesting. Um you see adjectives like slinky with her, you know, she's definitely like a femme fatale type. Um and and it is true. She's like we are, we're talking about a duck character, right? So it feels mm-hmm. weird to say it, but she is coded as being very attractive. Um so so she just stands out in a lot of ways. There is a, a lot to talk about. So since there's so much to discuss with this story, uh, let's go ahead and just cover, do some of the groundwork first, talk about the, the story's original publication. We are looking at, we're, we're in, you mentioned early 60s, specifically we're in March of 1962 is the publication date in Uncle Scrooge number 38. This one's on the shorter side for Bark's adventures overall, but in this era, it's actually a, a pretty decent length story, clocking it at 19 pages. Um, and this one has been pretty widely published as fits its status as kind of a fan favorite. It's seen publication in 22 countries overall, 130 publications, and 12 times in the U.S., which is definitely more than average. I'll say there's surprisingly little background specifically about this one. You know, I was I was kind of looking it up and and most of the background talking about Barks making this story, Elaine, kind of just relates to his overall like really plowing headlong into using magic a dispel as an antagonist early on in pretty quick succession, right? Because this is what this is technically her third appearance, um, but it is her second big adventure adventure story after the Midas touch. Um, yeah. So after the Midas touch, he obviously liked how that went, you know, and, and Barks, there, there is an interview where Barks alludes to the fact that um, it was getting harder for him to like uh, situate the ducks in, in different countries because there were all these like hot spots and he didn't want to get anyone in trouble by, you know, he didn't want to cause trouble by featuring uh, like a war-torn country. Um, just just there, there are a lot of issues. Disney and, and Western publication kind of shied away from that thing. So he, he alluded to really enjoying having this sorceress character to kind of play around with. Um, it, it feels like maybe this, this story feels like he does seem a little bit almost reinvigorated. Would you say? Reinvigorated in terms of... And just in terms of... It, fun with different kinds of plots. Um, yeah, yeah. I think mm-hmm. I think this story and Magicka, it, it, you can kind of sense maybe a little bit of relief or or in reinvigoration at getting getting the opportunity to do something different. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think about this little like Magicka dispel era? Yeah, he certainly he talks about how she was a great character because she allowed him to do so many different things, and um, that was a lot of fun. And it is a little bit of new life in a uh, time where the formula could have gotten tired um, if he had just repeated himself. But, you know, he was too great an artist to just repeat himself. So he comes up with a brilliant new character that gives him all kinds of uh, plot possibilities. Yeah. Yeah, I think she's a real jolt. I mean, kind of literally mm-hmm. and figuratively. Um, and and of course, she's like magic adjacent, right? Early on, she's not necessarily mm-hmm. 
quite using magic, but it's close enough. So he gets to, he kind of gets to have his cake and eat it too, right? Because he's like, he's delving just a little bit into supernatural-ish stories, but he's still keeping the ducks pretty grounded at, you know, he, he would sometimes fudge it, but but we know that he, he usually likes to keep things at least mostly scientific, um, at least mostly realistic and not use a lot of magic with the ducks. So I, I was kind of thinking to myself, I was like pondering as we as we did this, I was like, there's, there's been about like nine, I think, Magicka stories. He did like nine of them overall, one of which was a 10 pager, right? So like eight adventure stories. Oh no, maybe two of them were short ones. Anyway, I was wondering to myself, which one of these is my favorite Magicka story? I do think it might be this one. Like th- there's a lot of them that stand out, but um, I guess I, I, I do think it's a little odd how highly this one is rated, but as I reflect Reflect on it. I'm like, yeah, this is a pretty strong story for a lot of reasons. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe I'll have an answer to which one is my favorite by the end of this. I certainly will by the end of the podcast. Is this your favorite of the magic yeah, stories? This is definitely my favorite magic story. I didn't read all of the long adventure stories with Magica in my childhood. Um, mm-hmm. We just didn't have all the issues. But I would say even once I had read them all, this remained my favorite. Uh, and we'll we'll talk about why. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess you would have read this probably in. Um, Uncle Scrooge number 38. Did you get to mm-hmm. read the original? Nice. Yeah, I, I got to read this in Gladstone's like mm-hmm. wonderful album collection that was called The Many Faces of Magicka Dispel that had like, there must have been six or seven of the stories. I think it only left out like, it only left out a couple of them. Um, but uh, but yeah, it was a great way to get my magic fix. And I hadn't read like, I don't think I'd read any of these once I got this album. The only one I read was left out out of this one it's the um the Circe one what's that oddball odyssey so mm-hmm. um yeah and i i think she might have been the first barks character where i probably knew her from ducktales before i knew the barks version uh-huh. um, so oh, glomgold might have been the case i did start reading the comics shortly before i watched ducktales but mm-hmm. but at any rate um so i was taking a look too at some of the titles from around the world on this one there's some interesting ones here so elaine i've um i pasted a couple of the titles from around the world Uh, you know i like to pander to the international listeners since um i know where my bread is buttered would you i think you are going to grace us with the german what what title was this given in german und glas so that says happiness and glass yeah, I, I'm not sure how well that captures the story, but maybe there's some Deutsch idiom that I'm not aware of that it's kind of riffing off of. He is happy in the when he when he finds his instructable glass. Scrooge yeah. is unusually happy for quite a while. Yeah, unusually is right. This is mm-hmm. definitely like the most delighted and and maybe even generous that we're going to see Scrooge at least when he's not enchanted. Uh-huh. Um so I'm going to go for the Swedish. I think it's been a while since I've done Swedish. And it is Et bom saker 
Kasaskap. It's bom sakert kasaskap, which is a bomb-proof safe. Pretty straightforward. But you know, that none of them are really going to capture the English title, right? Since the word safe, the noun itself works so well as the adjective. So it is a great title, admittedly. Um, let's see. I think we're ready to do it. Let's let's dive into the action of this story. All right. So Elaine. Um, the unsafe safe. You know, I always like to pay careful attention to the opening splash panel. Um, this one breaks a couple of rules right off the bat because Scrooge is almost always, that is, Barks almost always goes to some efforts to like code his characters at the beginning for people who might have been picking up an Uncle Scrooge comic for the first time. He does something to convey with his money bin or piles of cash how rich he is. Um, maybe Barks just felt like breaking the rules here. Maybe he feels like at this point people do know the character. But at any rate, we've got him outside of the bin. We've got Donald walking up to him just as he's doing something pretty weird, putting a pair of glasses on the pavement in front of a street roller, which as a kid, I would, would always have called um, a steamroller, even though mm -hmm. they're not usually steam powered these days. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and we get to see the steamroller, the uh, excuse me, the street roller pass over them harmlessly. Donald is surprised that they're not even scratched. Um, and, and we kind of transition a little bit abruptly to like a what looks to be a circus strongman or maybe a blacksmith or something i don't know he's not like he's not coded as anything specific but he's shirtless and he's just a big strong guy uh who has a sledgehammer and and just pounds them without again any effect um i i didn't mention the other rule that this breaks is that um no i guess it's not never mind it the way that the panel structure is it looks like the like three-tiered stories on just this page but that's just because of the title itself so i i think i usually am very complimentary of these openers, Elaine. I don't know that this one is the best one. It feels kind of, what's the word? It feels kind of like uh, forced to me, right? The way, in, in a way that I think he's going to move beyond pretty quickly here. Um, mm -hmm. But but there's a lot of like Donald telling what's happening um, that doesn't, the, the dialogue does not feel very natural to me, right? When he says, and the roller didn't hurt them. Why the glasses are not even scratched. Um, and that transition to, you know, the whoever that guy is, that also just feels a little bit off to me, I'll admit. Um, I'm not going to be rough on this story for the most part. I've actually, since we first started talking about it, I've come around and I, I, I'm, I'm understanding why people really like this one. But I do think that this is not his best opener. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the the strong man with the sledgehammer and on the next page, the welder, they just conveniently appear out of nowhere so that uh, Scrooge can demonstrate how indestructible the glass is. Right. Which is a bit lame. Yeah, it, it does feel a little bit forced. It's it's all good visual signaling. You know, these are these are genuinely good ways to like show off what Scrooge has got here. I'm not uh -huh. I'm not casting aspersions at how he um at, at what he uses just the way he goes about it feels a little bit perfunctory to me i also think it's kind of funny that the the street roller guy doesn't react 
at this person standing, you know, two feet mm-hmm. in front of him um, as he puts his glasses down. But but that's fine. This is all we know that this is comic books. Um, and maybe no one is going to say no to rich, rich Scrooge McDuck, right? If he asks you to do something. But um, but it is a little weird. So. You know, uh, you, you mentioned that welder. He he also is unable to do anything to the glasses. Um, and Scrooge is explaining to Donald that his scientists have developed this new kind of indestructible glass. He demonstrates it again by bouncing them off the pavement and um, wishes Donald well to get a start to at his money bin. And uh, we, we kind of end this little segment with him pondering new ways to use his glass. Um, so, so yeah, I don't, I don't think that this is the strongest opener. I think it's got some cool visuals, um, but there is something at, about this at the outset that feels just a little bit off to me. Oh, I, you know what I wanted to ask you too, Elaine, before we go on to the next segment here, did you think about like, he says that this is a glass developed by his scientists. Um, did you ever wonder why it's not gyro gear loose? Yeah, I think that question always comes up when he says he's got something developed by scientists. Yeah. Or when you see his scientists and they're not gyro. Um, and I don't know at what point the whole postal service regulation came into effect where, which not only said that Scrooge couldn't be in the in the extra story with gyro but it also would mean that gyro couldn't be in the main story with scrooge right yeah yeah i think you nailed it i think because when i grew up reading this i was like it always did annoy me i'm like why are we talking about some other scientist everyone knows that gyro mm-hmm. Gearloose is the preeminent inventor in duckburg but but as you i've mentioned this in in lots of episodes that that there is that weird postal regulation that i only learned about in the process of doing this podcast um you know other other barks scholars are that is well known but for me personally i was like oh what a weird reason to have to refer to as other scientists barks has to like keep these characters out of each other's stories um at least in uncle scrooge because of this postal Mm -hmm. quirk to get the best rates for subscribing um all right so elaine this next segment is where i think the story really does kick into gear right this Mm -hmm. this one is a lot of fun i do love his entry into the money bin um yeah this is great right he notices that uh the the bin door is unlocked at a too early hour and he knows something is amiss so he immediately runs and he sees that his watchman has been bound and gagged and he sees that beagle boys are preparing to blow up his safe door um this is very funny we've got the three eager beagle boys talking about the amount they're they're basically hoping that they've goldilocks to the amount of tnt right that they've Uh they've used that they didn't pack too little tnt into the drilled lock that they packed just enough um but in fact they all guessed wrong They, they packed too much and they get blasted out of the bin in a big hole in the side and um and there's and scrooge closes out the page with a very sharp bit of dialogue do you mind reading that bit of dialogue for us well whether my clerks are here or not it looks like mcduck's money bin is open for business early today 
Um, other sharp dialogue is that he says, oh, I, I don't need new glasses to see that something is amiss as he looks at his bound watchman. Uh, this page, what do you think? What do you think of this? Page? Yeah, I think it takes off on this page, certainly with the action and the humor with the Beagle Boys. Yeah, it, uh, it takes off literally and figuratively. Um, this page is a riot. I love it. it, it this this one in, immediately elevates the story after what I would say is a pretty soft start. Um, and this naturally leads Scrooge to to a realization, right? He starts to ponder. Uh, he he wishes that there was some way to burglar proof his money bin because someday those beagles will use just enough TNT. I find that I find that line very funny. Um, and, you know, the, the reader has certainly, even a young reader probably knows where Scrooge is about to end up a little bit before Scrooge does. But that's, I think, part of the part of the pleasure of reading this as a kid that you mm -hmm. feel clever, like, oh, hey, you should use your new glass. Um, and and he he makes that realization. It's a very cool light bulb moment panel. Right. Uh -huh. uh, and, and we transition. I do feel like maybe this could have it would have been nice if he could have. Um, um, had a page break here, you know, on, on page four, there's like a transition mid page to some days later where he's going to reveal uh, the shiny bin to his nephews and explain that it's now sheathed in his indestructible glass. What do you think? Yeah, I, I guess I, uh, I think going straight from his, his light bulb moment to the glass on the bin uh, works fine for me. Mm -hmm. um, he's thought of it. There's, we don't want to waste time seeing him construct it or anything uh and i like how the um the shiny bin is drawn mm -hmm. you know the little shading lines to show that it's shiny glass yeah because that's a tricky thing to do um mm -hmm. in, in a comic right to like show that something is shiny he he must have had to take special care <laughs> and and be a little bit thoughtful about how to accomplish that mm -hmm. yeah i i like this i think i I think this is going to get to part of why this is such a well-liked story is that this is just such an interesting, um, this is an interesting gimmick, right? This is a really fascinating plot device. And it's something that Barks hasn't really done before. You know, he's kind of touched on this idea with the, uh, what's it called? The indestructible bin. Oh, the forbidium bin, um, with, mm -hmm. with, which is a gyro gear loose story. And, and is not one of Bark's strongest. Um, so this feels like a, a kind of story idea that really did need to be mine. Um, and I think it's also inherently intriguing and in that it's that the indestructible material is see-through, right? Yeah. That's the opposite of what you would expect, that the the more solid and um, uh, resistant something is, the more opaque it is. And, uh, so that's a uh, inherently cool idea. Yeah, it definitely is. Because usually when he's talking about protecting his bin, it's because it's however many feet worth of, of impervium or, or whatever. But the, uh, glass is something that we traditionally 
emotionally think of as just being very fragile. Um, and so, you know, the ducks go on, they, they see that it not only is it sheathed, but as you mentioned, they can actually see through the safe um, because the entire safe lock tumblers and everything is made out of this glass. Um, he, he comments, it's a truly safe safe at last. And uh, we get one of Bark's little jabs at organized labor here, right? He likes to, um, he, he loves to point out, he loves to associate the Beagle Boys and other like unsavory types as being part of the burglars union and playing mm -hmm. by union rules. Um, it is, it is pretty funny the way he does it, but you definitely get, I think there's a, there's a little bit of, I don't know how to describe it, like right wing crank in there, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. he, he's not like, he, he is not maybe warmly inclined towards organized labor, um, at right. least the way he's characterizing it. Uh -huh. um, and, and so you mentioned that he, you know, it feels unusually happy in this one. Um, and and he, 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 he is, he tells the nephews that he's going to lock his valuables in the safe right now and just take a long vacation. Um, what do you think? Does this part of the story, is that too much of a character break for Scrooge for you? I don't know. I guess I, I, uh, it's underlining the sense that you get in other stories um, that of the burden of the riches, right? That it is a constant worry, which he, which Donald knows and Scrooge tries to pretend isn't true. But then when that burden is lifted, um, he's carefree in a way that he never is and gets to play in a way that he never does, um, except playing in money. Right. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. You know, it's at least a good justification. I mean, for me, it, it, this did always strike me as a little like out of character, but you do mm. need to get Scrooge for the for the type of plot that Barks wants to work with here. Obviously, you do need to get him um, very far away right. from his bin. That is the structure that he's looking for. Um, mm -hmm. But it does feel it does. I, I will say it feels a little bit too like footloose and fancy free um, to to wholly be in character. I, I will also poke a little bit of criticism too at this other um, just very like it, it is it, it's a little bit lazy storytelling when when the dime comes in right and um, he's he's bringing it into the safe and he just says this dime by the way is old number one first dime I ever owned it's my most cherished possession you know he might as well be telling the reader that he it might as well be reader you should know that this is my most it's it's it feels a little bit on the nose to me um maybe that's lampshaded a bit by donald and the nephew's response do you, do you mind reading their response elaine you've told us about that dime 1211 times uncle scrooge no uncle donald 1212 times and he does have the the yeah. grace to look a little bit embarrassed what do you think does that does that kind of soften um, that little bit of exposition effectively enough? I think so. It's setting up that that exchange between them. I mean, what were what would his other option have been to put it in a, a narrative box or something? Right, right. Yeah, I, I get he is dealing with a pretty short page count these days in the early 60s. Um, but again, it does feel a little bit on the nose for me. And and now we're going to transition pretty quickly with a, a classic spin of the globe because he says um, in, in response 
in response to Donald asking, where is he going? He says, where are we going around the world to celebrate my new pair of glasses? And he even giggles. He he. Um, so so next begins kind of the the travel arc of this story, something that we really never see. Scrooge McDuck lounging on vacation, having a good time. Um, Elaine, would you like to tell us about this next sequence with um, with the Beagle Boys? So they are uh, pounding at the indestructible glass doors and complaining that the even though it's only a thin sheet of glass, um, they can't they can't break through it, wondering if they're getting weak in their old age. Um, and then uh, decide to try to blow it open, goes through the too much or just enough. And then this time it's too little uh, explosion, explosives. Yeah. So I, again, I love, I love all of these little interludes with the Beagle Boys, right? They, they mm -hmm. work great for me. They're very funny. Um, it turns out that oh, just a little bit of Beagle Boys can be just the right amount, right? Because like they're going to disappear. Is this the point when they disappear in the story? Uh, then the next page, right? Which is the second. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. This, so mm -hmm. this sequence is, is like it for them. Um, mm -hmm. and, and it is just the right amount, but, uh -huh. um, it's, it's very funny. This really is all one sequence. Do you want to keep telling us about how it plays out? Well, this is all while Scrooge, um, and Donald and the kids are, as the narrator box says, far away from drab old Duckburg in a, a variety of tropical locations. How does this continue? continue. Mm -hmm. So this time they decide, you know, to use too much, um, better too much than not enough. And there's a huge explosion, but the door isn't even cracked. And then the policeman runs in and tells them they have to cease and desist because a little old lady across the street has complained about the noise. And then they go out in the classic uh, hand on each other's, you know, the shoulder of the one in front pose. Um, and glumly saying, we're stopped. Our union roles won't let us disturb little old ladies. So it's a very good bit, right? It's it's <laughs> very funny. It's 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 certainly one of Bark's better running gags, this idea about some little old lady complaining about noise. Um, I like Scrooge's interaction with the chief of police here, right? When he initially, when he initially alerts Scrooge about what the Beagles are up to, he he tells him to let them wear themselves out because he basically wants it just known that that it's um, it is indestructible as build. And Elaine, I I this is one of those things that the Beagles with their hands on each other's shoulders in this line. This is one of those things where I'm really so happy that I've done my ridiculous, nerdy, deep dive into this mm -hmm. podcast because I never like it, it never kind of clicked for me that they even did that. And now every time I see that Barks has drawn them doing that, it just makes me crack up. Like there's funny. no, it is so funny and it's such a fun part of their character, but, but it was just this background thing for me that I never really consciously took note of. <laughs> um, so, so all of this stuff with the little old lady, it's, it's very funny. Again, it's, it's another like gentle jive at unions that they're like, they're bound to union rules that, I mean, that's, that's not making, that's making life of unions it's not necessarily being critical of them i guess i should be mm -hmm. fair um 
So at this point, we are going to do a pretty hard transition. Um, would you like to tell us about about our little Italy transition here? Right. We are we are transitioned into Magica's um, house on the slopes of Mount Vesuvius, but we don't know that yet, right? Across the seas, a menace far more terrible than the Beagle Boys is building up steam. Uh, the slithery sorceress, Magica Dispel, and that's the um she gives her um purpose in that uh in the fourth panel and then heads to duckburg by plane because of course she's not uh riding a broom yet that won't happen for years to come right um, and uh there's a truly wonderful little sequence where the guy tells her the plane is sold out to a tour group and she'll have to wait um and she uh hits them with her stun ray and says they will have to wait the plane is sold out to me yeah and that's both a kind of you know wish fulfillment for all of us who have been forced into situations where we had to wait in airports and or whatever um and also a, a power fantasy i think especially for for girls you know she's a she's a powerful woman uh and i didn't see that many of those back in the day so it's gratifying that she can just do that yeah i'm glad you noted that because again that's one of those things that i wouldn't have thought of when i was reading this as like say an 11 year old um but now i can't help but think wow 1962 you know it is true that like women don't have the kind of agency that magica did and she's doing it for like very nefarious purposes obviously but you you just love to see her do it um this page is such a great reintroduction to her you know, like we have had 10 cent Valentine come in between Midas Touch and this, but like, but Magica, Magica Dispel is an adventure story character. You know, like she, she thrives in um, the, the kind of situations that play out in an adventure. So I, I really think of this as her true second appearance, you know, um, also to be fair, I can, I can barely remember 10 cent Valentine. I don't, it didn't. It didn't leave too much of an impact uh, with me. I, I I can kind of recall it, but um, just looking at this whole page, she has such a great look. I I think I do notice because I it wasn't too long ago that I recorded Midas Touch and spent a lot of time in advance thinking about Magica and and that story. Um, he's really refined her looks, you know. Mm -hmm since that story she's looking even more she she basically looks the the way the character is now right i'm like oh this is this is her character model um this is what barks how barks will pretty much depict her for the rest of his run and um it's also notable to me that he he's engaging in a, more continuity than usual with this right like she, mm -hmm. we're going back to her vesuvius sorcery shop it is basically as he left it in um, the Midas touch. And, you know, he, he didn't always care about that, right? Like he doesn't, he doesn't always draw Donald's house very consistently. He doesn't even depict the money bin consistently, right? These days it's mm -hmm. like in, in a um, office lot, essentially, instead of on Killmotor Hill. And, and so it's notable to me that he's like, I like this setting. I like this characterization of her. Um, I'm even going to reference, you know, the, the kind of, 
plot that she previously had with his old number one dime and still going back to fashioning that annual. So um, great. And may I, may yeah. I say also that on the sign outside of her sorcery shop, I really like the line, evil eyes refueled. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Well, why don't you read the, it's, it's like, it's advertising copy. Right. For sorcery stuff, which is very just inherently funny. What what is she? What are the services that she offers? Spells cast, hexes hexed, evil eyes refueled, black cats for rent. Yeah, just just wonderful. wonderful. Uh, I I love Magica and and like everyone else. And this is this really is probably her at her best. Um. So you know the next sequence is again. This is kind of rapid, right? It's going to intersperse Scrooge traveling with Magicka arriving in Duckburg. In his case, he's in the outback and he's so giddy that he's out hopping kangaroos because of how happy he is about his money being safe. And we get Magicka arriving. Um, she gives a very musical good morning, we might imagine. Um, and M M McDuck's office manager greets her and she immediately hexes him and directs him to open that safe door. Um, and we get this fun, the, the sequence plays out with his employees just variously telling her that, you know, they can't open it. Only McDuck knows the combination and he's out of town. And so we get to see her have one of her like, um, you know, what mental breakdown, one of her raving moments, um, just kicking and pounding at the transparent safe door with the old number one dime quote waiting for my grabby fingers and i do like the fact that the last panel shows like the, reverses the perspective right so that yeah. you're on the inside looking at out at magica looking in you're next to the uh, number one dime yeah it's a very good artistic choice um she is as the beagle boys are at their funniest when they're walking in their goofy lineup um i wonder if it has to do with them being like used to being in police lineups or something i wonder if that's what it's supposed to allude to but but um but magica is at her funniest when she is raving and screeching um so so again i've i've probably just been primed for it now because it's such a trope of her character but i love to see her this way elaine you know it's mm -hmm. it's definitely not the most empowering because it's kind of like the uh the the harpy trope or something i guess but um well i don't know about that i mean it's frustration huge frustration which you also of course see in donald a lot and yeah and identify with in Donald. Um, and I and I also think that um, women aren't allowed to show anger much. Yeah. Uh, so kind yeah, of like it, that. It, it, it must be why she stands out so much, right? Because she mm -hmm. just, she does not care about mm -hmm. what anyone thinks of her. Um, and she will respond however she sees fit. And and it, it really does stand out. Um, it's great. All right. And, and so the next page here, this is a big, important, Important moment in the story. Um, this is, Elaine, I suspect the reason why people love this story and they remember it. It's it's because of this really very clever, um, very intriguing hook, right? Magica is very clever here. Um, she recalls that there, there is one way to break glass that uh, she bets that he'll, he'll have overlooked. And it, it is this idea that a certain frequency can shatter glass um and so she's gonna she's gonna go to a music store
or an instrument store and she's going to hex the snooty clerk there um, and, and just take a bunch of his instruments. Elaine, what do you know about this like fact, right? That about, about a certain pitch, a certain frequency shattering glass. I don't know much about it, uh, but I think there's some truth to it. There there most certainly is, right? I think this is like, I, I remember watching old like um, Three Stooges, I think, where there, there were old old bits from the 30s where someone would shriek mm-hmm. and a wine glass might might shatter. And so it's it's like an old trope. People know about this, you know, windows sometimes shatter at a, at a, a woman screaming or an opera singer or whatever. So, so you could be forgiven for thinking that it, that's all it is. But um, do you know the show Mythbusters? Heard of it? Yep. Yeah, Mythbusters is great. Um, oh, and this is not the first time I've gotten to mention it on the podcast mm-hmm. because they actually did. Uh, they based one of the myths that they busted on um, a bark story, right? The the sunken yacht where the ducks raised a ship with ping pong balls. They actually tried that. Um, you know, the Mythbusters, they do, they, they analyze these like myths to see if they're feasible. And they did take on this old one. It's, I think it's one of the, their best episodes and mm-hmm. uh the the short of it all is that they did get an opera singer to successfully and reliably mm-hmm. shatter a wine glass with nothing but her voice like un unmodulated unamplified mm-hmm. um so so this is something that is totally true it's totally plausible it is a wonderful hook for this story mm-hmm. love it right and this is such a good way to set up the reader for the yeeker because yeah. this is is the way for Magica to introduce the idea that a certain frequency of sound may shatter this glass and that that Scrooge hasn't thought of that, both right. of which are true, right? Um, she just doesn't happen to find the right frequency among in the music store. Yes, yes, you're right. The progression here, as, as much as I kind of am a little bit critical about the, the storytelling and the way some of the like exposition dump is set up in the beginning, um, the, the, the storytelling is really masterful here he just he sets up this progression really nicely and we we get this very funny sequence where she's trying all these instruments um and i i i'm really just cracking up looking at her face right she goes from a flute to uh what is that second one is that a um, clarinet yeah i guess it's a clarinet it's not the angle i'd usually see it from a clarinet mm-hmm. to a violin to a trombone i guess or uh no i guess that that would be a trumpet or a cornet um anyway some some bit of brass and and her face just looks more and more frustrated and she as she's exerting herself and barks gets to get some great uh little onomatopoeia transliterations of the sounds of the instruments (laughs) and then when you when you turn the page elaine what has she advanced to to uh Steam calliope, perhaps? Uh, yeah, steam org- organ or a organ. steam calliope or, or whatever. It's, it's very funny, right? The notion that she's gotten it into the office and is uh, frantically playing it. Um, and that's going to be our second encounter. This is going to be important, right? It's only going to be funny if we have the cop, the chief of police, cutting in to tell him, Miss, Miss, you'll have to cut that out. A little old lady across the street has claimed about the 
noise. Um, and, I, and I love it, right? Because again, Magicka is powerless in, in the face, just as the Beagle Boys got frog marched out. Uh, she, she just tromps off saying that she has never been so frustrated in her life. Um, I'm very entertained by, by this part of the story. Mm-hmm. This works great. Um, so at this point, we're going to transition back to Uncle Scrooge and the Ducks. And as you mentioned, uh, we'll get to meet the Yeekers here. Do you want to tell us about this sequence? So he's dancing with the Tanganyikan folks um, and uh, remarks on the gorgeous bird feathers of their outfits. And they explain that it's from the Tanganyika Yeeker, a bird that lives around here. Um, so he wants some of them for the Duckburg Zoo, not for his own personal zoo this time, but the Duckburg Right, Zoo. right. Very like, yeah. very warm hearted. But they say, no, you'll be sorry. Their cry is very disagreeable. There's one of the Yeekers now. So we're about to hear it. I, I would mention that never have I felt so much like dancing is also the first um, appearance of another uh, modified repeated line felt right. so much like or felt so little like yes. is going to come up a number of times. Right. That's a very important one as he mulls over that his office reports that three robberies have been foiled. And interestingly, we have seen all three of those attempts, the reader, right? A um, mm. cu- couple of things to comment on here, right? First off, the dancing is is to our eyes, to the reader's eyes, it's probably pretty goofy. Um, but I think this is like styled like how the Maasai dance, if I remember mm. right. The Maasai people of Kenya, um, not of this area, but I think they do this kind of like jumping dance. Mm. Um, but it does look a little bit odd seeing Scrooge do it. And people reading it nowadays may not be familiar with the country name Tanganyika. Yes, um, tell us about it. So Tanganyika was, you know, colonized by the British, and then it had a brief period of independence as a country called Tanganyika from 1961 to 64. Yeah, so that's during that that period that this during that very out. brief uh, window when this story and then was published. In 1964, it merged with Zanzibar, producing the country Tanzania, Tan right. from Tanganyika and Zan from Zanzibar. Zanzibar. Um, but the Tanganyika, of course, provides the wonderful name of the Yeeker. Yes. And then it's an onomatopoetic name because the Yeeker yeeks. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's and all very satisfying. It really is. Um, and, and this is something like I've heard the, you know, Lake Tanganyika is still still bears the name. It's one of the Great Lakes of Africa. So I knew that. Um, but I, I always did wonder about that. And it wasn't until I looked into the background for this story that I was like, oh, that's interesting. I didn't I didn't know that Tanzania came from this, you know, merging of these two countries. Um, I knew, interestingly, I think the first time I heard about both countries was from Disney Comics, because Zanzibar was mentioned in, I think, a super goof comic that I read fairly frequently. Huh. Um, um, uh-huh. But uh, yeah, I knew about Tanganyika from from this, of course, and and just staring at the map as a kid. Um, all right, so and I love the appearance of the Yeeker. Mm-hmm. It, it it feels 
slightly Zeusian to me. Yes, I was I was just about to say that that the Tanganyika Yeeker absolutely looks like a Dr. Seuss um, creation, right? Like, I feel like it's got to be an homage. Do, mm. do you think? Mm. I... Certainly, in the spirit of that, the with the little uh, thing popping out of its crown, you know. When, when was then... Seuss active? He was already active at this point, right? Yes. Right? We, had like, the, we had the first Zeus stories already in my childhood. So. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to make sure I figured, mm-hmm. but I, don't, I mm-hmm. don't trust my memory when I record. Um, I guess the only other thing to note is that the, the Tanganyikans are kind of a far cry from the days of like voodoo hoodoo. You know, they're a, they're a pretty harmless, at least for the time, representation of, of an African character. Um, I mean, they're, they're definitely coded as quote primitive but um but i don't know they're interesting i am not i'm not entirely sure what i think about them do you have any thoughts on them uh so first appearance their um their hair is african right mm-hmm. the you don't know what how barks would have had them colored they were colored in the original um white like right. you know, thinking ducks are white or whatever um uh the I think it's um, primitive. Um, they're the fact that they get all excited about earning money um, and uh, are are willing to give up their own traditional dance and culture, right, for money. Uh, it's that it it's not playing on any particular stereotype associated with Africans or uh, Black people. Um, it's a more general human thing, right? Um, and you you know you could say that that. That is uh, also some kind of comment about how Westerners coming in and capitalism actually disrupting traditional culture, right? Right. That that's what uh, lures them to give up their dancing and corral all these birds for Scrooge. And give up their Mm -hmm. their squawking local icon. Yeah. So, I mean, he does, of course, make fun of people uh, in Duckburg or in America as well at times. And it isn't not the ideal depiction, I would yeah. say, but it's also not um, stereotypical in any obnoxious way. I don't think. Yeah, I, I agree. It's 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 fairly harmless by the standards of these things. Um, I've just I've been really interested in kind of noting this arc in his career, and it feels like that you know there's been a couple of stories like with All at Sea where he did seem to take a little bit more care, deliberately and overtly in mm-hmm. in represent. You know, I I was very very early on I, I was critical rightly of of the era yeah. of his late 40s stories because there are some representations but it's it's that good to see that he can kind of modulate so at any rate we get we get a really big very memorable moment here right where mm-hmm. uh, as you mentioned they they point out one of the yeekers now and it's getting ready to yeek and um i guess the only downside to this is that comics are not an auditory medium right so we don't all we get to do is imagine what its shriek might sound like. Barks really goes for it, though, with his onomatopoeia here. He starts the the yeek 
off in like uh, straight, you know, the font. There's nothing stylized about the first couple of letters. And then he makes them more and more jagged. Um, mm -hmm. And the colorist mm -hmm. seems to have made a good choice, right? The, the At least the on the album that I'm reading, the first panel where the Yeeker Yeeks, it's in blue. And then it's in a more dangerous red in the E part of that panel. I don't know about no. the one that you're looking at. I'm looking, well, in, in the Gladstone 90s album, it's the yeek is all in green across those two panels, the mm. letters of yeek. I'm, right. looking, I'm looking at the original to see what the... Yeah, I like the choice. The yeekers are kind of red and pinky red in the original. I like them oh. much better in this purple and with yellow that I have in the Gladstone album. Yeah, and in right. the um the yeah, first the Glads... Oh, go ahead. In, in here, that's it does go from one color to another in the original. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a good transition here. Mm -hmm. I, I like the the kind of soft powder pink that they are in in this album here. Mm -hmm. um, any rate, there's mm -hmm. definitely room for a colorist to have fun with these guys. So mm -hmm. so the big moment here is that the Yeeker Yeeks and Scrooge's glasses pop, crack, and crumble. They shatter. Um, just as Magica thought, there is a sound that can destroy this glass, and um, Scrooge reacts appropriately he immediately stops dancing he deflates and realizes what could happen if one of them yeeks near his bin and we do get that iteration of the line you mentioned where he he explains to the chief never have i felt so little like dancing um so this is a this is a neat transition this feels like a natural arc and and i was thinking as i read through earlier that the the interesting thing about this moment is that scrooge has a choice here right he can like make a big deal out of it like he's going to and cause a big hubbub and call a lot of attention to the Yeekers uh -huh. or he could just kind of stop for a moment and think and be like all right well I didn't know about these Yeekers and they're way out here we assume they're just way out in the bush in the African bush um why don't I bide my time and like get under the radar but but it's much more entertaining for the plot if mm -hmm. he does what he's gonna do and he makes a big deal out of this and and cries out that he's going to buy up every yeeker in the world and he offers them all 10 bucks a piece for each yeeker that they can capture um which which causes the locals to scatter and uh have some pretty funny dialogue here uh and tell their chief their protesting chief that wants them to get back and finish the dance they they say with yeekers worth ten dollars a piece we've never felt so little like dancing do you have a, a favorite of the um you know the rich aspirations that they talk about oh gold bathtubs for each of their my <laughs> yeah years. yes absolutely that's great i do think that um although logically you could say it would make sense for scrooge just not to tell anybody about this and hope nobody anywhere near duckburg any any time ever figures it out i think part of this also is that he he would not be able to be carefree about it anymore that he would always have that worry so that right. the would not even if the glass would protect the bin the glass wouldn't do what it has been doing for him which is to make him feel like he doesn't have to worry about his money at all yeah back to worrying that that's a good point right the moment his glasses shattered it, it just mm -hmm. popped this bubble of happiness you sense that this is one of the first times that scrooge has been genuinely happy 
happy in his long life. Like maybe he's been fulfilled before, but but never like carefree. <laughs> um, so, you know, this is a really cool panel where we transition days later to the Yeekers. There's a bunch of them penned up in a big cacophony. Again, it's too bad that it's, an, you know, a paper drawn medium and you can't hear that terrible din. Um, I, I'm not, I wasn't going to talk about the DuckTales episode in advance, but I will say that I did feel let down ultimately by um, the Yeekers yeeking in that one. Cause mm -hmm. like maybe it, there's nothing that really could live up to, you know, what the comic promises here, but um at any rate, we find that there seems to be a yeeker economy here where like they can't make a living finding them anymore because they're being so successful catching them. So they they double the price. He doubles the price, which does spur the chief to also abandon his dance. Um, so this is going to bring Magicka back into the story. Do you want to tell us about this part, Elaine? The frustrated sorceress is um, in a boat just tracking down McDuck because her plan is to stun him with her stun ray and then make him tell her the combination of the glass safe. Seems but, like a great, like a genuinely good plan. Mm -hmm. So she does that. She finds him. She stuns him, uh, commands him to tell her the combination, writes it down. But the boys save the day uh, by uh, writing those figures down and then on the next page telling Donald to radio them to Uncle Scrooge's clerks and tell them to change the combination. Yeah, again, the ducks are responding appropriately, other than kind of tipping off Magicka. Mm -hmm. um, but it, but it's a good, it's a good response, and and they're able. Donald is able to avoid her stun ray because of you know all the the forest, and and we get this great moment of again a very frustrated Magicka. Um, I just love her. This this has to be Bark's best story for onomatopoeia, right? Mm -hmm. There there are all. All these very funny transliterations of magicka growling um instruments sounding yeekers yeeking this is like his most auditory uh story i think of all time uh-huh right yeah mm -hmm. um yeah, I love her frustration always. And I also really love her expression in the last panel on this page. Uh -huh. That even in the midst of her frustration, she notices uh, when the Tanganyikan is bringing two Yeekers and asking for $40 from Scrooge and uh, wonders why would McDuck, McDuck pay that much for common birds. And it's such a great expression on her face. It is a great expression. It, it also stood out to me. I mean, honestly, every expression on this page <laughs> of hers stands out to me um we don't get a lot of great like panel art necessarily backgrounds these days but bark's character art is still uh still very strong and and that one you mentioned is right and and it's great because she she is still as you point out very shrewd very canny um and she's about to she composes herself on the next page uh and gets ready to freshen up with a dash of perfume so you know she is definitely a very feminine character that's mm -hmm. that's very crucial to her um and at that moment the yeeker being one of those yeekers does what yeekers do and shatters the her perfume bottle and instantly fixing magicka uh you know setting her up for realizing what what is happening and her light bulb moment echoes 
Scrooge's light bulb moment that you mentioned yeah early it, on it, right it does I think are the panels even composed no they're not no. the same but um no but, but it's the moment when you realize uh, yeah something about the glass right in this case the shattering and and she is actually looking like Scrooge was almost turned towards the reader but I mean she is mm -hmm. fourth wall breaking there looking right at the reader um and she's able to confirm you know with a still hexed Scrooge that that is indeed why he has got to pen up all the yeekers in the world uh and she does something hilarious here it's, mm -hmm. it's it, it crafts me up what does she do Elaine <laughs> she lines the yeekers up and uh you know ties a uh, uh, cord to them rope to them or whatever makes herself a sling uh and has them uh fly her to Duckburg axing these poor birds I love it they, they mm -hmm. the the birds the birds look like pretty dumb um pretty silly as it is but hexed with that dazed look it's very funny and and at this point you know she's got an airborne advantage vantage point so um when donald is going to shortwave scrooge's office to hide the dime she is able to uh zap the um the shortwave radio and get a, a huge head start um on the ducks uh th this is really cool too right we th this is a funny point because magica seems to have such a dramatic head start that that it, it seems like all must be completely lost so the fact that the ducks are gonna have to like rush back from the wilds of africa um you know futilely you might think only to be saved by the fact that the yeeker can't be compelled to yeek when she mm -hmm. wants it to is very very fun mm -hmm. um because because she does she she arrives back in duckburg mere hours later um and brings the yeeker into the office and we just transition to the yeeker sitting on the chair with her just pleading for it to please yeet it's a very funny moment mm -hmm. and the expression on its face the poor yeeker on the next to last panel oh I mean, yeah i did i think when i was a child reading this i really felt for the poor yeeker who was homesick uh -huh. very far from home you know yeah i mean there's some there's not in I, the mood to yeet there's some pretty like cruel some a bit of animal cruelty they're not real so i'm i'm not uh I, i'm not worried about them but magic is definitely not nice these birds um so you know the ducks are rushing back to duckburg and uh just in time basically for this yeeker to finally make it up its mind to yeek and shatter scrooge's glass allowing magica to access the dime um they're gonna they're gonna collide with each other basically right outside the bin and magica is gonna give him a stun ray uh you meddling old meddler she says and and just at that moment her battery has gone dead so so that's a pretty funny thing right for a sorceress to be dependent on what i imagine is like probably a single double a battery or or a nine volt or something right and that of course makes it clear that what she has is you know gadgets um more than uh what we would normally think of as magic in this 
in this era, at least. Right. But but I mean, she is still extremely clever, right? Because Mm -hmm. he he mentions that she designed this herself. So it's very impressive. But Mm -hmm. um, this this ending here, Elaine, I think is very strong. My only regret is just the, the length of the story. I think it would have been nice to have one more page um, or at least a half page of dithering, right? Of like the race against the clock with Magicka mm-hmm. maybe trying a couple of more things desperately to get the the Yeeker to wake up, you know, bribing, bribing it or or playing those instruments at it or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but but you want to tell us about the wrap up here? Uh, so as she's um, just standing there looking dumbfounded at her dead battery, uh, Scrooge runs by, snatches back his number one dime and runs into the bin um, and she is pounding at the door, um, threatening to smoke them out with dragon breath. And then the uh, um, chief O'Neill, oh, oh wait, O'Teal. O'Teal, I it's think. It's like yeah. a teal, the duck. The duck is a teal. Yeah. Um, uh, O'Teal comes and uh, tells her she has to cut that out because the little old lady across the street has complained about the noise. So we get the the payoff of that setup of the two times that's happened before. And then we get the payoff of the feeling so little little or so much like something in the the next panel never have i felt so little like being quiet yeah and and then we get kind of a triple payoff of sorts Mm -hmm. as the nephews counsel scrooge that he's he's kissing his dime so loudly that the little old lady might complain about you um which is funny for a couple of reasons right like it wouldn't be funny by itself except Mm -hmm. as as a build to that other gag and and then the fact that the nephews i i'm not even bothered by the fact that the nephews weren't there for those previous beats you know it's it's just mm. it's inherently very funny um that 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 ending is so just deeply silly right and ridiculous that it's basically a little old lady that has um not saved him right because magica was always already foiled but but mm-hmm. that was the one that sent her off this little unseen force um it's so silly as to be farcical this is more farcical than most bark stories i think mm-hmm. so i think if you're like in in for what this is offering this is going to be a really good time i so elaine i'm finding a lot to love about the story i really appreciate it much more than i did you know when i kind of before i started to deep think this one um i will say i think there's a couple of you know spots around the edges that are a little bit rough so some, some parts that don't necessarily work well for me that do keep it from being like the all-time classic that you one might expect from it based on how other people remember it, right? How it's characterized on Index. But I do get it. I get why people love this one. Um, it is one of his funniest stories. Mm. Like just, I'm not even going to qualify that by saying of the 60s or Uncle Scrooge um, or even like adventure length stories. This is, this really is a very very funny story um all the character art is very funny it, it does have a very good very strong arc um and it is and it has an amazing hook uh so mm-hmm. like the the just the whole concept is i think what really draws a lot of people to this one and i get it it, it makes it very memorable it's a very sticky concept 
Um, what about you? Yeah, there's a lot that I love about this story. Um, I love the the whole idea of glass being an indestructible thing. Um, I love the uh, the Yeagers themselves. Oh yeah. Um, I, I love Magica um, uh, flying with the help of of a whole bunch of lassoed Yeagers. <laughs> I do think that the after the beginning that may not be the strongest beginning, which is just simply to show us how indestructible the glass is. Uh, that after that, the um, just the narrative shape of this is so strong. Um, going from the Beagles' continuing uh, attempts to get get through uh, the, the um, and then switching to Magica, who has different things to try um, and, uh, and introduces the very idea that is going to be the downfall of the indestructible glass of having some sound, piercing sound that's going to shatter it. Uh, so it, it just, it, it all feels very strong and very funny uh, yeah. for those repeated, um, the Beagle Boys trying for the Goldilocks amount of uh, explosive you have to have, you know, I miss the foof bombs because they're un, they're the only part of Magica's, you know, character and surround or whatever that doesn't appear in this story. But that's necessary because you have to have something that can fail, uh, right? right, in the way that her stun ray fails at the end. And I just, and I love the... Um, uh, everything from her realization to the end, right? Of um, I think my uh, favorite panels. You know, you don't have that much interesting background art, art, and you even have places where there's no background art at all, like when uh, uh, with the kangaroos and Scrooge jumping like a kangaroo, where you really yeah. miss some something in the background. Yeah. But as you were saying before, the character art is so strong, the expressions on Magica and the others, and the expressions on the Yeekers, for heaven's sakes, you know. But definitely my favorite panels is that set of four panels when she's trying different instruments. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it is a riot. That's one of the things that I remembered best about this one. Um, and of course, just magic is like throwing a fit in general is, is always, mm -hmm. always funny. Um, it's also probably it's got to stand out too in people's minds just because Magica and the Beagle Boys are both in this one, right? That probably makes it feel like an indispensable Scrooge story because he's got two out of his three big nemeses from, from Barks, at least. So you and I both think that this is a very strong story. Uh, it sounds like you have few reservations. I will definitely say that this is a great story. You know, I, I would put up there quite where the index, um, which is, you know, to segue into that, I love to check in. Index voters have rated this story collectively as an 8.1 out of 10. And it's currently ranked 22 out of all 43,000 um, Disney comic stories. So like this is a top 25 story. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, it's it's really something else that that is rarefied air. I think that this is the last story that I get to cover that's even in the top 25. Mm -hmm. uh, what is nor north of the Yukon is pretty high as well, but I don't think it's as high as this if I remember right. And and uh, it's as you noted, it's even a just a couple of notches higher rated than the Midas Touch itself, which I do think is fair. You know, I think I think mm -hmm. there's some real grade inflation going on with that one for an understandable reason, right? Because it is magic. It dispels literally 
literal first appearance. Um, I do think this one is a better story. It's just like, like that is a great story. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. It's just, it, it wouldn't stand out as much if not for introducing the character. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know exactly where I would put this, but I do think that it does feel a little bit generous to call it like ah, number 22. So um, what what do you think? Why do, why do people rate this one so highly? As you it's say, a, it's one of his funniest. Yeah. Um, and it's it's just really well constructed. Um, the the build to the climax. Um, I don't know. I mean, some people are bothered that it's a that that it's a dead battery that uh, that defeats her. Um, like that's so random. But right. I think that's because it is a comedy. Yes. Um, yeah. I think so that that's fits a funny in way with to the... have her defeated, uh, defeated. Right. Exactly. That fits in with the farcical nature of this one. Mm -hmm. This one should definitely be taken as a farce. So it doesn't bother me that it's farcical. I just there are a couple of places where I do feel like it's a little rough around the edge. Um, mm -hmm. But but again, I would rank it very high in terms of the funniest of, of his adventure story. Um, so let's see, just to wrap things up, I definitely wanted to note that this is a pretty iconic adaptation from DuckTales. Um, it's a pretty good episode, too, I will say. You know, I, I keep, I, I, I reviewed, I went back and watched all of the Barks, like, adaptations. He's actually credited in the episode as, you know, coming up with the story for this. Mm -hmm. um, it has the character Gizmo Duck in it, Fenton Crackshell. So I don't love that about it because I tend not to like the episodes that features that original character. But in general, it hews pretty closely to the arc of the story. It is fun to see the Yeekers animated. Um, as I mentioned, I think they could have they could have sounded more cacophonous, but mm -hmm. um, but it's pretty cool. It's it's neat. I am not aware of any major sequels or anything to this. Um, let's see, taking a look at my notes here. Um, you tipped your hat with your favorite panel, right? I like to wrap mm -hmm. things up with favorite panel. So you mentioned the instrument sequence, which is a fantastic choice. Um, I have to agree that that is one of the strongest elements. I also love the, I love the beagles getting blasted out of the bin. Uh, mm -hmm. like, like that, I guess it's that first, the very first time. I mean, I love every moment when they get blasted in some way or another. <laughs> but especially the first one. Um, mm -hmm. I love all of the moments when Magicka is throwing a fit. I, I love that first panel where the first Yeeker appears. And then when he's like kind of puffing up his beak almost with pride, um, puffing up with pride yes. almost as he gets ready to yeek. Mm -hmm. um, there, there's a lot of great panels from this one. Any others that you wanted to call out in addition to the uh, the hilarious character art of Magicka playing the instruments? I also, just love when she's frustrated um, uh -huh. and she gets more and more frustrated as it goes on and that's part of what's so humorous about the story too uh, I mentioned I, I love her look when she is wondering why uh, McDuck would pay $40 for the birds yeah it's um, a good one the uh, the sequence with her with the um, Yeeker in the bin it's also fun to look at her expression in those four panels uh-huh where she initially thinks this is going to be the solution immediately and then gets upset with the Yeeker and then is is uh you know begging the Yeeker to respond oh yeah can can you just imagine though barks if he had done this in like 1949 mm. um or 51 
one. I, I'm just imagining like three or four more panels of her pleading with the Yeeker. I, I don't know. Um, that could have been, it, it's, it is something special already. How about that second to last panel of the story with, with her walking? I, I do love uh -huh. that one. You can yep. see her bag is even falling apart. I imagine she must have been pounding it against the Right, bed. right, exactly. <laughs> uh, so, so a lot to love about this one, a lot to appreciate. Um, I think we did a really nice job covering this. I really appreciate you coming on. Are there any other thoughts of yours that we didn't get to, to cover about this great story? Well, it's it's interesting just to think about the um, character of Magica and how Barks intended her, how he enjoyed using her, um, but how she was in some ways adopted um, in ways that he didn't anticipate. Mm -hmm. um, that uh, Barks did see her as more of a bad guy and said that, you know, he was he was glad to see her like the other villains um, defeated and humiliated um, in the way that you'd be glad to see an evil person um, defeated. And it's more mixed, right? Because um, I also identify with her in her frustration. Uh, her goal isn't isn't really all that evil to get the number one dime as goals go, right? And and it's an obsession, but then it's also Scrooge's obsession that even makes the the number one dime that that important to him. Um, that. So that also makes it easier to um, like her and to develop her into a, just a more sympathetic character, right? A relatable, a likable character, which happened definitely over the years. And, and it was interested that your guest, Alberto, yeah. um, said that, pointed out that the first Italian story using her by somebody other than Barks came out within a year right. of her first appearance. So she's she's autumn, uh, very much adopted. And of course, she is Italian, and that was part of her, her charm. But the ways that she became a protagonist over time and was eventually given her own world, given characters in her world. Uh, Cimino and Cavazzano gave her a, a friend already, uh, Roberta, in 1971, which is only 10 years after her first appearance. And then she get, eventually gets family and she gets, you know, a niece and she gets other girls that are her uh, being tutored by her and all kinds of things uh but all and gets a whole world where first i guess in in the s-coded stories and in the brazilian stories she hangs out with mim right and uh, uh definitely in the brazilian stories ended up ends up living with mim in a castle <laughs> but all of that is that she she became something that i think barks didn't really anticipate people identifying with her that much and having her be a, a protagonist but he he made it possible for that to happen by making her such a complex character by by making her so powerful in an attractive way you know it's it's really funny to think of her as somebody as a as a female character who gets to be powerful without losing her femininity yeah now of course you could say that about femme fatales in general i suppose 
but their power is only sexual, right? A femme fatale. And, and yeah, she does have that effect on the male characters, um, but mostly her power is her own cleverness and craftiness, you know, as you said earlier in the right. earlier episode. Yeah, because we almost never see characters like lusting after her. I mean, it, it happens occasionally, but mm-hmm. like for the most part, she she definitely like has an effect on characters, but I think it it's almost more in how severe she is. I, I like what you pointed out about how she is like, I don't know, you phrased it really well. You know, she's allowed to have her femininity and, you know, be be a villain. She's she's just so interesting. And I and you're right, Bark set her up really well for other creators to take off with her um but the best thing he did like as much as i love her characterization and i love how she's very intense and she's very um you know she's got a real gravity when at the beginning of every story she is very imposing very severe and then by the end of the story she has like a wildcat breakdown is kind of the archetype right and and they're both right um but the best thing he did for her was just give her an absolute dynamite character design like oh yeah 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 you you see her and you just do not forget her she looks Mm -hmm. incredible from a character standpoint i think Mm -hmm. she i think i think i think there's a lot of reasons people love her and identify her and i just think that that is number one she is such a joy to watch yeah yeah Mm -hmm. um i do think this is probably my favorite characterization of her because it has everything right it has it has that composed magicka it has that unhinged magicka it has her being being very clever watching her plead um and it and it doesn't dive kind of into the kookier like genuine magic stuff um not that there's anything wrong with it but i think this is the archetype that i like best of magicka just very wily very clever able to like craft something that 99% looks like magic but really isn't you know it has the mm-hmm. it has the trappings of magic mm-hmm. yeah that, that, that was some great commentary i really appreciate that talk talk about magic of dispel what a cool character um he came up with it's so neat that in in really near the very end of his run we have what like five years to go maybe um of of major storytelling before he kind of transitions out from his regular adventure stories it's so neat that he he had this additional one last great character um thank you so much elaine this was a lot of fun this was a really great conversation i'm glad i'm glad i got to have you on for this one it was a delight absolutely always a delight to talk about magic of dispel and in even in my favorite story. I feel so honored to be able to take this one on. And as always, fun talking with you about it. Yeah, I really appreciate it. And I hope people will um, join us next time. They should they should check out the, the podcast. We've got a Facebook page. We're frequently active on Instagram. And um, next time should be a really good conversation. I get to talk about a spicy tale. And, and I guess uh, make sure make sure you don't disturb any little old ladies. And may your glasses never break. (laughs) Yes. Thank Mm -hmm. you very much. 